Before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to remind you that my short story is available for free at johntilton.com. If you sign up for my newsletter, I'll send you both the ebook and audiobook of Doomed Dune. In this middle grade adventure, a girl named Melina travels to a forbidden landmark guarded by tyrannical robots, but her life turns upside down when she discovers the true reason it's off limits. Discover Doom Doom Secret by heading over to johntilton.com. That's J-O-N-T-I-L-T-O-N.com. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to Cause of Craft. I'm your host, John Tilton. Why do we create? Where do our ideas come from? What does our craft say about us? These are the ideas we explore here on the show. Each episode, I interview a different guest, from writers and painters to musicians and filmmakers. Together, we investigate the creative process and the reasons behind why we create. Ever feel like an outsider? Someone who didn't belong with everyone else? Illustrator Joe Hawks joins a podcast to talk about how struggling with work on his family's farm motivated him to advance his skills as an artist. We also talk about pursuing a variety of styles, finding what you excel at, and why creating something is deeper than simply enjoying the process. If you like this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. That's one of the best ways to help the show grow, and I appreciate your support. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. It's great to talk with you. My pleasure, John. Now, with all my visual artists and craftsmen, I like to point people to a place where they can see your work so they see a little bit about what we're talking about. What's the best way for people to see your art? I would say go to joehox.com, J-O-E-H-O-X.com, or you can uh, find me on Instagram. That's probably where I'm most active, joehawks. Awesome. And your art is super beautiful. I, I love going through the different styles. You've got this painterly style, woodcut style and sketchy style and sort of going through the different things is fun. Did you develop all those styles kind of one at a time or have you always been tinkering with different approaches to illustrating something? That's always been kind of a challenge. And I'm sure a lot of uh, visual artists can relate to this. So there's this expectation in the industry, and maybe it's going away a little bit, but in order to develop this strong, cohesive brand, you should have this consistent look. But I just have way too much fun playing around with different styles and different looks. <laughs> so I majored in art, and then my wife and I got married. And right after that, I had a business painting murals for a while. And when I was doing that, it was a, a real strength to be able to do a lot of different styles. For example, an elderly lady, one of my clients, she asked me to do like a, a Terry Redland style painting of, of a covered bridge. Well, you know, I could study that and build on that style and kind of make it my own, kind of not. You know, at, at that point, I was still developing as an artist. And so it, it was probably good that I was experimenting a fair amount with different things. But I, I did that so much so many different requests came along for different styles that eventually you know, I kind of didn't know who I was as an artist or who, who my identity was as an artist. So, and I'm still trying to figure out what, what the sweet spot is with that because I, when I go on uh, Instagram, all the artists I follow have, you know, a pretty consistent style or craft and a pretty consistent process. Uh, there's some exceptions. Um, Kyle Webster is, is one who argues for artists being able to work in whatever style the job calls for. And that's kind of where I've landed. I want to be able to provide whatever the art director is asking for in, in a way that I see that it best fits 
the story when I'm doing illustrations for a book. You're touching on, I think, what's a common problem, or maybe problem's a wrong word, but I run into this issue as well as a writer because there's that expectation that it's going to match like a certain market almost. Like, yes, it's you're writing sci fi for this age group and that's all you write or something like this. And right. I've, I've kind of like internally rebelled against this sort of idea. And I find consistency in my writing, but it's usually not in the area of genre or perhaps even age group. Right. And so it's one of these frustrating things where I want to explore writing. Right now I'm doing middle grade. I would like to do adult and YA down the road. And it makes all these questions like, well, do I have to do a different writer name? Do I have to do a pen name for some of these different yes. types of stories? And then it's like, well, what if someone really likes something about my approach and style that isn't related to age group or genre, and then they're not they're not going to run into this other stuff because it's branded completely differently. Yeah, it creates this kind of convoluted web of problems to solve. Navigating that feels a little frustrating because you want to hone in on certain things that makes your work unique and makes it a part of you. But on the other hand, if you really want to say something or you really want to explore something, you don't want to stop yourself just because you've pegged yourself in a in a hole to begin with. Right. And I, I tend to chase what's fun, <laughs> even if it uh, goes against developing this brand. So over the last few years, I've done a lot of different things. Like currently, I work with Laylee. It's a company that makes robotic milking equipment for dairymen. They have these promotional fiberglass cows that they send out. So life-sized fiberglass cow sculptures. And so I've got a contract painting cow spots. <laughs> it's not creative, but I enjoy it so much. And it's so weird. Um, and uh, so I've got that going, uh, a cow spot painter. And then uh, I've also got, um, so my wife and I live in a really Dutch heritage town, the town of Pella, Iowa. And there's So we've got the largest working windmill in the U.S., Dutch style windmill. And uh, we've got... Oh, like wooden shoes everywhere and little Dutch kissing couple statuaries in everybody's yards. And we have a tulip time every spring. And anyway, um, so I've been working with a local organization to paint a big mural. And if that project goes through, it'll be in in like a Delft ceramic style, uh, which is totally different. And I just, I love it all. I, I Part of it's uh, when I was teaching, I was doing a lot of different things with students. And I, there's not a favorite media medium um, that that really I gravitate toward. I just I enjoy the whole creative process. Yeah, that's really cool, and I think it fits too in with this show because when I was coming up with ideas about what I wanted the podcast to be about, at first I was thinking, well, I should interview a bunch of different writers about the reason why they write and how why they find it helpful, and then I started thinking about just the different types of crafts and how everyone probably deals with that question, whether they be, you know, a dancer, a writer, a painter, you name it. It's also been fascinating to hear from different people, both finding the similarities between what I do as a writer and what other people do. And I think when you explore a different side of your own creative work, or you explore what someone else does in a whole different field, you end up finding new ideas that can influence what you do. So I, I don't know if you find that too with like if you're painting or if you're drawing 
these spots on a cow. If <laughs> if something like that ends up uh, informing your work in another way, maybe not not that example specifically, but I don't know if you find different links between what to you might feel like completely different categories of of drawing. Yeah, absolutely. In college, one of my professors showed this film that really, honestly, changed my life. Uh, it was called Inspirations, and it features the glass blowing of Dale Chihuly and the music and painting of David Bowie. There's a, a dancer on there, Roy Lichtenstein. Anyway, a whole bunch of different creative folks. It, it was amazing because I, I think it was people who have the courage to kind of follow their own muse and be inspired by a variety of media, bringing in other people who are outside of the genre that they're working in and playing with um, improvisation to enliven the creative process. And I, I prefer a, a work life that's much more like that, that maybe teeters on the edge of chaos than uh, just follows this kind of factory and carefully delineated brand sort of way of, of operating. Does that make sense? I think it does. Uh, I hope it makes sense to everyone else, though, too, because I'm like, I, I relate to what you're saying. Uh, and again, uh -huh. for the reasons that I've already stated, I like to imagine that the people who are drawn to this sort of show and just the different varieties of artists that we have on, I would think that that would resonate with them as well. Um, and if not, you know, hopefully as we talk and as they listen to other episodes, they'll see the value in that because I know I've found the value in in that more overdoing the show than I even thought beforehand, which is re always really cool. So going back to your work here, how when did you first start exploring the artistic process, the creative process? Was it always drawing and illustrating or did you do different creative things as a kid? Yeah, so I grew up on an Iowa farm and I describe myself as the world's worst farm boy. So I grew up during the farm crisis of the 1990s. So farmers were losing their farms to the bank left and right. Uh, many were going bankrupt. And my dad, he just didn't want that to happen. He was a very driven, hardworking man and a, a good man, but he worked like crazy. I remember him being sick with the flu or whatever and wouldn't spend a moment in bed or on the couch. He, he would be out there working. It didn't matter. Nothing uh, seemed to slow him down. And so that was kind of my template for what adulthood looked like to me uh, and, and what being the man of the house uh, looked like. <laughs> and I just didn't really fit that template, even from an early age. I, I knew that I was made differently from my dad. And it was so evident that he loved and respected me. Uh, and I'm so thankful for that. I've talked to other creatives who didn't fit in and they didn't get that from their parents and oh my heart goes out to you folks but my uh my parents loved me in spite of this growing list of of mishaps on the farm things like you know accidentally driving the tractor into the barn because i was daydreaming <laughs> um not like into a space for the tractor in the barn but into the barn <laughs> <laughs> it had the bale forks on it. And so I, I stabbed the barn with uh, the bale forks. And um, my mom was much more creative and, you know, a home decorator. She's a graphic designer for many years. So it was always my preference to be inside with her doing her sort of things 
rather than outside doing the work. But the expectation was to be outside doing the work. This was all cemented by the fact that I, so I had a cousin who lived in town, but came to work out at the farm every Saturday. And he was in Rocky four. There's this Russian boxer that Rocky goes up against who seems like he's been almost genetically engineered to box. That's how my cousin was with farming. He wore a cowboy hat and and long skinny cowboy jeans and he just looked the part, but he was also everything he did on the farm was like a flop. Like if there were judges for the farm, they, he would get a 10 out of 10. So like he'd throw a, a square bale up into the hayloft and, and it would land, you know, and I would try throwing the square bale and, and the, the twine would come off and it'd all be, you know, a, a chaffy mess around me. He knew just where to stand. Uh, when we were uh, rounding up the cattle, he could stand in just the perfect spot and not move at all. And the cows would keep going in the right direction. But uh, for me, it was like I was invisible to the cows and, and you know, you'd have cows jumping the fence and, you know, we'd have days of, of chasing those stupid cows through uh, the coal mine hills of Southern Iowa. There were just so many things like that where he wasn't, Doug wasn't a bad guy. Uh, I'd, I'd love, I, I wish in this story I could make him the bad guy. <laughs> it was, but he was a great guy and, and uh, just so good at the farming stuff. And so anyway, I would much rather have, you know, snuck inside to watch Bob Ross videos. You know? <laughs> this is so funny listening to your story because it's so funny. And it's also like, I've been studying a lot of story structure in uh, techniques related to that these past couple of weeks while I start a new book. And it's funny how you're describing this and it's just like, oh, wow, there's so much material here for like a great character arc of, uh, you know, you've got the opening scenes of all this hay bale, you know, falling all over you, the cows <laughs> trample, almost trampling you. And then you realizing that uh, your place is in the art world, not the farm. It's just this kind of uh, you can see you can see the arc here. So yeah. at what point during the story? Does it become clear that not only are you drawn to a different career path, but an art path? And then how do you bridge that from, you know, doodling in a notebook, let's say, to pursuing it professionally? Yeah. Thanks for bringing me back to the topic. <laughs> I was kind of lost in the weeds of being a, a failure at farming. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that eventually I did come to find art because up until that point, I really, really had this self-concept of you are a failure. Oh man, I, I just thought I'm just gonna stink at life. It was not a good place to be. In fact, I had an, another relative who often worked out at the farm who shall remain nameless, but um, I never heard him call me by my first name. He His nickname for me was Worthless. Like he, it, it was so common. Like he would come through the door, hey, Worthless. Like it wasn't even it got to the point where it was like mundane, like it was what what I would expect. Anyway, when you have that label, it makes you hyper vigilant to find something that kind of makes you special, that makes your heart sing. I really wanted to prove that I didn't have to have that label anymore. And um, so I, I was always on the lookout. I don't think I was necessarily a natural artist, but I started to discover that in school. We would have projects and you know, we'd make a Native American village diorama in second grade. That was like a, a big capstone type of project for second graders at our school. And I looked at my Native Americans 
my little paper cutouts and they had like windblown hair and um, beads drawn on. And my classmates had these kind of stick figures that I couldn't tell where the, it, it was like the head and the limbs all connected at the same place. There was no torso. And, and so, you know, I, I started to see differences. Like I, I was more sensitive to the, the visual world. And I don't think I had any sort of like super innate talent. It was just, I was more like it meant more to me. And so uh, I started to own that in early grade school that I was headed toward something in the arts. And I, I was eager to prove that I could do it well, even if I wasn't amazing at it. So I get, yeah, what follows are just years of practice. Like I, I obsessively obsessively filled sketchbooks whenever I could. So when I was mowing hay for my dad, the rows were always super crooked because I would be trying to sketch and drive the tractor at the same time. But it just, it became absolutely part of my identity. You can argue nature, nurture, but I, I do think a lot of it was just, boy, I got to find something that makes me special. And so I really fixated on that for a lot of years. Yeah, well, it's almost like how everyone else around you was so good at what was required to do on the farm, right? That I can see how that longing would be there. Again, uh, you should, um, we should talk about this next. Your wife is a writer and you two are having a book come out and we'll talk about that. But I'm just like, man, you and your wife for your next project should be doing like your autobiography. Like there's (laughs) so much potential here for like just a great narrative. Um, And again, I think everyone has, everyone has a great story, I think, uh, inside them with what's happened to their life. But again, going back to the structure, I'm like, the structure of yours is like already completely laid out. So, uh, so I think it might be easier for you than other than some other people to, uh, to put that string that together into a tale that people would relate to and see your story. So um, it's a good story for school visits. Every kid feels that way. Even the popular athletic kids, that story is has something relatable in there of, of just feeling like a failure. We've all been there. Yeah, and we I think everyone feels, especially kids, everyone feels like they don't fit in in some sort of way. So for you, it's with the farm aspect, but everyone has that with something because there's always the expectations and you know everyone's good and bad at different things and so you're always going to land in some category where you're not up to speed with everyone else and you feel out of place or maybe you moved as a kid or something like this just takes you out of where you feel like you're supposed to be yes absolutely while we're on this topic of school visits and things like this what kind of advice do you give to kids who want to be creative when you're visiting schools and talking with kids about this? I think the advice I give the most is scratch your own itch. So if in, inside you, you feel like, oh man, I, I need to make something or I need to dance. I need to move in a certain way or, or I need to sing in a way that moves people. Follow that. Listen to that voice. I, and it doesn't need to be a profession, but oh man, it sure enriches the community. If you can actually express your gift, you know, even if it's if if you're a musician, if you're playing or singing for a wedding of a family member or designing a brochure for, for some local nonprofit, there are tons of ways to plug in and enrich your environment and give. And people will see that it, it gives you a place, uh, but it also you know helps other people's 
lives become a little bit better. Here I have written down my follow-up question, which I feel uh, doesn't apply anymore because I have, uh, how would that advice maybe be different for an adult? But to me, it sounds like that would carry over a lot. So I don't know if there's if that's the same or if there's additional things you would add to that for someone who's further down um, down the line in, in age. Really the same. That's that's a, And I, I would say too, o- over time, I came to discover that my worth, my personal worth was not it wasn't in the farm but it also wasn't in art art is a a part of who i am but it's not all of who i am and my value as a person has much more to do with relationships that i have less to do with what i can prove to the world i you know i've told that that story of my worth to students and i make sure to always say the happy ending isn't me finding art and showing them you know, and showing the world that I can paint the spots on any cow you put in front. You know, it doesn't. Uh, at at the end, it's it's um, you know, it's these relationships that we have with others that are really going to enrich your life. And for me, I, I re- really found meaning in in my faith. So I'm I'm a Christian, and for me, that's um, that's far more important than my abilities. It's what's been done for me by Christ's work on the cross. That's that's really helps me know who I am better than just proving to the world how good I am at stuff. And I think this is a perfect segue to the book you and your wife have worked on. But first, I just have to say that, again, this is following the structure completely accurately um, yes. with the, the false victory of oh, you yeah. thinking the, the creative pursuit is what's going to solve all of your answers. And then you have, <laughs> you know, the actual learning of the relationships are truly the key to you know everything and you can still pursue the art it's so you have the that yeah. very multi-layered message in in uh in there as well but uh but anyway i just had to say that because we kept talking about the structure and maybe it's because i'm reading too many structure books so i'm just like applying every single thing to it but it's at least probably a good practice for me to be in right now while i'm outlining my new book so going back to your faith here so the book that you worked on is for the christian market can you talk a little bit more about that yeah so the book title is who is jesus subtitle 40 pictures to share with your family uh, 6 or 7 years ago my wife, while she was looking for a book to use with our family, so we, we're really into, she in particular is really into routine and, um, and thinking about the rhythms of, of family life. And so we, we do devotions together as a family. And she was looking for a devotional that could help our kids anticipate Easter in the way that uh, Advent candles and Advent devotions anticipate Christmas. And there just wasn't much in the market. And so she decided to write it. So I was teaching at the time. I was teaching art. And she knew I wanted to become a full-time illustrator. I loved teaching, but it was always my dream to be an illustrator. And so she said, well, I'll write this devotional. And for each day, you make an illustration. And so uh, what came was kind of a, a Lenten season devotional, 40 days of Lent. So there's 40 days of this devotional. Uh, Each day looks at a different part of the Bible that points to Jesus. And there's there's a lot of word pictures in scripture, even in the Old Testament, uh, that point to Christ. So it goes through scripture pretty much chronologically. And it starts with Jesus as the firstborn over all creation. 
and Jesus is the lamb God has provided. So, you know, in, in the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac, or almost sacrificing Isaac in the Old Testament, there's this moment where the, the angel stops Abraham's hand and says, you, you don't need to go through with this. God's provided a, a lamb for you to sacrifice instead of your own son. That so beautifully points to Christ being sacrificed on the cross, that lamb that was provided. And so it goes through scripture and takes a look at a lot of these word pictures that point to Christ. For me, going through this project really helped me understand just how rich the scriptural narrative is. So even for folks who are listening who aren't Christians, if you crack open the Bible and start to dig in and and look at the story and how many little pieces of that story are guiding you along and pointing to Christ, it is crazy. Uh, it's it's a masterfully written story. Anyway, that's the project we uh, we decided to. I played around with a lot of different styles. Going back to the style discussion, um, we submitted to a bunch of different publishers and got rejected. We got a few maybes, but in the end. Um, the publisher that we really wanted to work with, they turned us down like four times. They loved the writing, but the illustrations just weren't landing right for them. And so I ended up landing on kind of a woodcut style. But yeah, then we decided to not go traditional publishing and decided to do a Kickstarter instead. And it was just as we were poised to launch the Kickstarter that the publisher said, hey, I haven't seen this woodcut style. Uh, let's, let's take another look. And so they did. And they ended up uh, signing us to publish with them, which is great because we have four kids and not a lot of room in our house for tons and tons of books if we're going to self-publish. <laughs> and self-publishing for a book like this with all the illustrations and things like that is, that's an extra layer of difficulty as well. Like you said, getting you pretty much have to get all the books ahead of time. And yes. there's just a lot more issues when it comes to production and getting it into the right hands and all that. So congratulations on that. Where can people find the book? Uh, as they say, anywhere books are sold. Yeah, Amazon. Uh, you can find it on New Growth Press's website. That's the publisher. They have been wonderful to work with. So one of the real advantages to uh, not self-publishing uh, was that we were able to tap into reserves that we didn't have. Uh, they hired a really talented uh, layout person named Alicia Sharp, who did all the layout for it. And it is so much more of a beautiful book than what we are going to produce on our own. So, you know, the, the layout piece ended up so much better. And then the, the marketing piece, uh, we don't have, we don't feel like we have to just be, we still do it, but we don't feel like we have to constantly be selling this book. We don't, neither my wife, Kate, nor I like being salesy. Like it just, ah, just, I, we'd so much rather be her writing and me illustrating in our own little corners. We're both kind of introverts and much rather work on our craft than, than be out there peddling books. So, but I must say that you've been great on this podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to your story and hearing about just your different perspective on things as well as the book. Uh, so thanks so much for coming on to wrap things up here. One thing I always try to ask everyone on the show is the reason behind why they create kind of tying into the podcast name cause of craft. What would you say is the reason that, you know, as challenging as all these things are with developing different styles, looking for a publisher of the book, 
being uncertain of if the art life is what you need to be doing. In light of all these things, what makes you realize that this is what I want to do and and this is why I do it? So Andrew Peterson's a huge inspiration to me. He's author of the Wing Feather Saga, uh, also a fantastic musician and um, all around good guy. He's written a couple of memoirs now, and one of them is Adorning the Dark, Thoughts on Community Calling and the Mystery of Making. But he says uh, something along the lines of one holy way of mending the brokenness of the world is to sing, to write, to paint, to weave new worlds. And boy, he says it much better than than I could ever answer that question about, you know, why why we go out and create. I I really think there is some something deeper than personal enjoyment. I very much feel the need to create just as naturally as a bird feels the need to to sing. But it's more than just I have fun when I do this. Uh, I feel like there's it brings a spark of joy at least when I get it right, it brings a spark of joy into people's lives. And I really hope that whether it's spots on the side of cows or whether it is um, a mural in town or whether it's illustrations in a book, it's making the world a richer place and not just adding to the noise. So I hope that it's meaningful, that it brightens somebody's day in some way. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a beautiful way to look at it. The point that Andrew Peterson was bringing up Yeah, I relate to that aspect of it because, you know, we're talking about scripture and things like this too, where it's almost like there's this chaos of the world, but then uh, through the story of scripture, you're able to comprehend what's going on around you in a way. Yeah. And it's almost like the art that us humans can do is not on that level, but it's almost like, again, a mirror of the creator, us, the creation also wanting to create and in a way, make sense of the world around us. Because I always find too, when I'm, sometimes I'll go into writing something and feel like I'm, oh, I want to get this point across. But then when it comes time to actually write it, like it comes out more nuanced and almost in a Mm. way that I didn't think about it yet. Yes. So it's almost like the process of screening can help you to process, you know, (laughs) kind of things around you and be able to have a greater understanding of things too. So, So I think, I, I know it's not exactly what you're getting at, but I feel like there's some point of relation there. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. You better write that down. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I should record it or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Joe. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you and get to know you a little bit better and hear about your process. Can you remind everyone one more time where they can connect with you, see your artwork and read your and your wife's book? My art and it's multifaceted, multi-styled. Glory in uh, on um, Instagram. My handle is Joe Hawks, J-O-E-H-O-X. And my website is joehawks.com, J-O-E-H-O-X.com. My wife's uh, stuff is at katehawks.com. We'd love to have uh, folks following along. Well, great. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Boy, I appreciate it too. Have a good one, John. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Cause of Craft. You can find all the links to Joe's work, including the devotional book he created with his wife, in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, check out episode three with author Fraser Alexander. In that episode, we also discuss Christianity and how it relates to what we create. If you enjoy this podcast, there are two easy ways to help the show grow. Share your favorite episode with a friend and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you have feedback, suggestions, or guest recommendations, send an email to john at causeofcraft.com. That's J-O-N at causeofcraft.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.